This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome in. I'm Wayne Shepard here with Michael. And I, I was just thinking about all the times that Joe Carlson and I would fly to Franklin to do this very program. Yeah, and now are, you drive to Chicago to yeah, do it. So. Those are the good old days. I miss that studio. I was just listening to that intro, that piano. That that was our souped-up Baldwin piano. I miss that piano. I miss that building. <laughs> and you soup up a piano. Oh, it had all kinds of uh, electronics, and it was voiced a special way, and it was it was a studio so it, piano. So it sold with the studio? It was, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, 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 all right. Well, yeah. Uh, here we are, smack dab between Christmas and New Year's, and we've got a program today where we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk with Jeff Crosby in a moment. Yeah, a wonderful friend, uh, gives leadership at InterVarsity Publisher, uh, missionary heart, just just a great guy. known him for a long, long time. I know you really resonate with the publisher of, uh, of many of your books, yes. IVP, and yeah. Jeff is the, the head guy, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, it'll be fun to talk to Jeff in a moment. And I'm looking then, forward to that. Uh, Curtis Zachary. Now, tell us yeah. about Curtis. He'll be with us later. I am so anxious for you to meet CZ. Uh, CZ is part of our On the Way Bible study. He's a pastor in the Franklin area. And I don't think I've ever known, he's a young guy, I, I don't think I've ever known a pastor who whose who's deepest, uh, and he, he talks about it all the time, he goes, uh, I just want to love people. <laughs> he says this, he's just driven to love people. I want to love people. And uh, and I can't wait for you to meet him. Great, great guy. So he's not caught up in the business of the church. Couldn't care less about <laughs> any of that stuff. I've, I've never known anyone so burdened just to love people. Well, we'll find out when yeah. we talk with Curtis. Yeah. CZ, you call him? CZ, yeah. All right. That's coming up in the second half of our program here today. But let me ask you, do you make New Year's resolutions? I, no, I, I I put pressure on myself that I should make New Year's resolutions, but no, I don't do that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this time of year, this is kind of the you know the week between the holidays. It's kind of a lost week in some ways, but it's a time to take stock. Yeah, it, that's I like that better. You you look back on the year. I, I don't think so much forward into oh what do I what do I need to fix. I look back and think, okay, how could I've done better this year? And I think maybe that's where yeah. resolutions come from. Anyway. What has come into my life this last year, right. good or bad, and what have I learned from right, it? Right, right. How could I have done better? And, uh, yeah. And, and my thing is always, you know, because – and this is Bill Lane speaking, you know, where, where did I fail in terms of serving people? Because that's what – I mean, I should have – whose feet should I have washed, you know, and, and didn't? Hmm. Yeah. That will go a long ways to – Making that resolution for the coming it, year. One, it is. It's a great place to start. Yeah. You know, where did I fail in terms of yeah. being faithful, a faithful follower of of, of Jesus? Yeah. And uh, and and it's and here's here's the thing, their uh, New Year's resolutions are are useless apart from grace. If God God's got to give you the grace to make sure. those changes. So. Sure. Well, we continue hearing good things from our listeners, and thank you for those of you who uh, send us notes through the mm. website or. Online in some fashion. Uh, here's one that says, Your books and music, Michael, have meant so much to me over the years. The pages of my books have notes in the margins, and I have just about worn out my CDs. Wow. Thank you for being my Bible teacher. Oh. Those notes in the margin, that's that's a man after your own heart, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're looking at my notes right here. Yeah. Uh, well, it's yeah. signed Terry. I'm not sure if that's a man or a woman, but yeah. uh, thank you for that, Terry. Yeah. Thank you. Here's for one that from Christy who says, I have loved your music since I was a young believer in the 80s. The old, the new, the classics you wrote and sing still encourage my heart today. Thank you. Wow. That's great. little <laughs> encouragement to end great, this year. And that's a great way to start a program. Propel you into the new year, Michael. <laughs> so, Speaking of the new year to come, um, what if this were the year that Jesus would come? Well, it may, and it may very well be. You know, the, the, you're tempted to say it's never been this bad. Of course, it's been this Every bad. There's nothing new that, under right, the sun, yeah. right? Right. But, but uh, just in terms of the course of history, you you you've got to believe it just can't be much longer. It can't be much longer. And uh, and and for me, that that takes me immediately to the moment. I I want to grasp that moment when when there's this loud sound, and you look up. You know, like, like we're right, right you know, yeah. we're in the middle of this program, right. and all of a sudden right. there's this commotion outside, and we look up and we go, "This is it. This is it. He's here. Mm. Everything I believed has been true. It's Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And that's where this business of Mar- uh, Maranatha comes from. There, there was this uh, belief in the early church that even uh, praying this word would hasten His coming. And uh, and if that's so, boy, mm. Lord, come. 
you pronounce it Maranatha. Maranatha. We've talked about that in the past, yeah. but many people call it Maranatha. Yeah, and that's not it. Yeah. Um, this is good, good Aramaic word. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Ken Lewis and you are going to sing and play that song for us in just a moment. But yes. tell me more about the song. First uh, John 3, 1 through 3 is kind of uh, what we're thinking here. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, well, the song is just a general overview about the hope that we we have and should should be um, rehearsing. Hmm. We should rehearse this hope in our heart. Reminding all. each other too. Yes. Yeah. And 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 um, and it's 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 it really is our only reason for hope. The fact that he is going to come back. It's it's the only. I think it's the only thing that ultimately sustains us as we have our struggles. You know. Uh, in the here and now, that that we we do believe that in the moment, in the twinkling of the eye, I love when Jesus is talking about it uh, in the Gospels. They they say, you know, when will these things happen, and what will be the signs of the coming of the? And, mm-hmm. and he he basically describes something you can run away from, which is the destruction of Jerusalem in seventy A.D. But then, when it comes to his second coming. He describes this this moment that you can't run away from. Two people will be on the roof, one will be taken, the other left. So it'll be this in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, and, and once again, what is that moment going to be like when it, when you hear whatever that sounds going to sound? Nothing like? else will matter. And you realize, well, for me, it's it's the realization. It's all been true. Everything you know, I, I put all my all my chips on one one bet, and and it's been a good bet. Well, you capture this in your song, Maranatha. Uh, Ken Lewis, when this was recorded in the studio, was uh, with us that day and joins you in playing percussion on the song. So let's listen to it, and then we'll meet Jeff Crosby of InterVarsity Press coming up here in the studio. Michael Card with Maranatha. Maranatha is the cry of the heart that's hopeful yet weary of waiting. While it may be joyful with the burdens it bears, it's sick with anticipating. To long for the promise one day after day, and the promise that soon he'd return. It's certain that waiting's the most bitter lesson A believing heart has to A call 
And that will be all Though it's not yet the hour The minutes are ticking away With Ken Lewis on percussion, Michael Card with Maranatha. Well, we are privileged to have a friend of yours in the studio here. Yeah, with we've us been today. friends for a long time, uh, encouraging brother, and uh, I'm anxious for everyone to get to meet him. Jeff Crosby of InterVarsity Press is here. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you both. Now, I've heard you described as the publisher or as president, which is it both? Uh, it's the publisher at InterVarsity Press. We don't have such language as president, oh, okay. but the publisher. Uh, the chief officer okay. um, of the company. Your honor will do okay for our interview, though? Uh, of course. Grand, <laughs> okay. Or Grand, Mike's friend will do well, Grand too. Poobah. Grand Poobah. That's yeah. what he always calls me. <laughs> Mike, I know of your high appreciation for Jeff and yeah. his ministry team there. Yes, they've been they've been awfully good to me for a long time, so it's great to have you on. Has anybody counted the books you've done with IVP? We no. have done nine. Nine. Okay. Nine, Jeff, and Jeff there's, knows. There's a 10th one on the way, I'm yes. glad to say. Yeah. And actually, there's 11th one right here. So there's always oh, one in the well, shoot take somewhere. take it with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, it is fun to have you here because uh, you've never been on the program with us no, before. I but no. we we have you have been to Franklin, Tennessee before. Uh, been when to, his home. Yeah, absolutely. Takes his home to the yeah. studio there. Yeah. Okay. Been fun to be there. Yeah. Mike, well, what does it mean to you to have this partnership with Jeff and the team? Um. Well, I've I, I've been with other publishers who have a different. Um, uh, I don't want to be, be let this become negative. I've I've been with different publishers who have uh, a different approach uh, to publishing. Well, and, describe the positive approach here. Well, I mean, what most publishers are doing is trying to sell as many books as they can, and certainly InterVarsity has done well at that. In fact, I want to hear your explanation of how the the proceeds the profits went up, and we didn't know didn't even know what we were doing to make that happen. But all this is to say. Um, uh, all of the the friends at InterVarsity, and I, I basically said when they stop doing books with me, I'm just gonna stop doing books. They're the they're the publishers that I'm committed to because of the heart of the company. It's like working with a bunch of missionaries. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the best I can say. It's it's uh, the 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 mood shift from other publishers who were great publishers that I was with before, but. InterVarsity just feels like home to me. It always, always has. Well, we are always yeah. glad to have you in our home, yeah. Mike. Yeah. yeah. How do you describe the mission of IVP? Yeah, we we are a 70, now three-year-old company. Wow. Uh, we're an extension of a, a parachurch ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, and we have a very distinct uh, three-sphere uh, influence in our mission to the university uh, both at the undergraduate level as well as um, seminary or graduate school. So the university, the church, uh, broadly speaking, not just uh, a subset, you know, a very defined, but the church, uh, broadly speaking and globally, um, and then the world. Mm-hmm. About one of every eight books that we sell um, is outside of the United States. So we, right? we have a global mission. Um, we're trying to engage culture. And we're trying to expand our reach, not merely uh, to have more revenue, although we obviously have to, you know, do well. Stay in business. Um, That's what I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. We have to, uh, you know, stay in business. We have to generate revenue, but to expand our reach, just because we believe that every one of these books is a missionary in and of itself. Interesting. Mm. And um, and so I've been privileged to be here for twenty. Two years. Yeah. Well, and, what, is, what has um, been your path to what you're doing now with IVP? Yeah, I was, uh, and that path is uh, very much intertwined with my path with Mike. Mm. Uh, as an undergraduate student, uh, my future mother-in-law, her name is Carolyn, uh, one of the most beautiful people in the world. Um, I, this new guy came into her daughter Cindy's life, and and she uh, she wanted to make sure I was discipled. Uh, very well. And uh, uh, the, the father-in-law as well, he would send me books, but Carolyn sent me music. Uh-huh. And in 19, I think it was 1981, she sent me this record called First Light. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And she, she said, I know you love Dan Fogelberg, but there's this guy who kind of reminds me mm-hmm. of Dan Fogelberg, and, uh, and you got to listen to him. And I, I didn't know, quote-unquote, Christian music existed. I knew hymns did. Yeah. 
but I was a I was late coming to the party of the the Jesus music thing, and uh-huh. so First Light was one of the first Christian recording albums that, uh-huh. uh, and I was given to by my future mother-in-law. You never she, told me this story. Oh yeah, Good and she story. quickly followed up a year or two later with Legacy, and she's this is even better. <laughs> and the next thing uh, I knew, I Cindy and I felt called to run a Christian book and music store. We did that for thirteen years near the Indiana University campus in Bloomington. And Mm -hmm. it was through that work uh, and some work with an association of stores that I actually first met Mike. It Mm -hmm. was in Dallas. I think it was in 87, the year that uh, Present Reality came out. Mm -hmm. And you and Susan and your oldest daughter, Mm -hmm. who was about two at the time, is that right? Mm -hmm. And our son, Dustin, and we we got together. Sparrow did a, a thing for the Logos Bookstores. And uh, and that was the beginning in my timeline. That's the beginning uh-huh. of of our friendship when you came in eighty eighty seven for mm. the present reality. Mm. But and what is this bookstore you speak of? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you know, in the general trade, bookstores are beginning to bounce back. Are they? Um, they're smaller and more boutique like. There's one just down the road uh, from where we're sitting right now that uh, you could visit, and they're beginning to pop up. But in the Christian book world. It hasn't happened yet. We're praying that it does, mm. um, but uh, but those were kind of the glory years yeah. from eighty uh, three to to ninety six, where everything was uh, very much centered around community bookstores, and uh, we would do events and um, sold every every time one of those Sparrow records from Mike came in. The, the Old Testament trilogy, the New yeah. Testament trilogy—it was like Christmas. Uh, and uh, wow. Cindy could Cindy could count on, you know, we had the demos going on in the store to try to introduce people to music. When a new card uh-huh. record came out, she's like, "Oh no, here we go! <laughs> yeah. We're going to be listening to <laughs> people running out of the store screaming. <laughs> going to be listening to that for the next uh, month and a half." So, what was your first job at IVP? Uh, it was the. Director of Sales and Marketing. Right. Uh, I came yeah. in uh, at the end of '97, so my task was to help make the books like Scribbling in the Sand, yeah. which was the first thing we worked on together, uh, to make them known both uh, domestically and globally. So a lot of trips uh, to Europe, to New Zealand, to um, to Australia, Canada, multiple times every year, just trying to make the books known. And uh, and then in uh, ninety, the spring of ninety six, our publisher, who was also a friend of Mike, Mike's Bob Freiling, uh, he retired. They had a, um, a succession process that they entered into, and ultimately, I was asked to take that on. So it's about three and a half years in the role as publisher. Well, Mike, you've talked about the difficulty in publishing music these days and how the landscape has just changed so dramatically. Yes. What's it like for books, publishing books today, and getting books into the hands of readers? Well, an e-commerce retailer based out in Seattle is kind of, uh, for, for all of publishing, it's the, the place where the majority of people go to get their books is uh, online retailers. Uh, there, there are others that are beginning to spring up, and um, and we're we're glad to see that. Uh, but it has changed dramatically from where we used to, you know, go out and visit thousands of of individual book buyers. Now it's almost all driven by data. Mm. It, it's kind of impersonal, um, and I, I lament that that change. And yet there yeah. are still uh, pockets of community. I was in Singapore. Uh, just uh, about a year ago, uh, meeting with publishers and, and retailers there, and 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 that that reminded me of what it was like here, hmm. you know, in the early part of my career, where there was much more community, it was much more face to face and less relying on data. But for us, we have to make sure our data is crisp, that it's clean, that it's very robust with all the endorsements and the. The copy and, and reviews and things like that. And, and that helps us make the books known now. It's just a different way of doing it. Well, you and I had a discussion a year or so ago when you, you, you said that there had been this bump in sales, a pretty significant bump. And, yeah. and you said, we're trying to figure out what, what happened. Yeah, Did you ever figure out what happened? It's been going on for actually the last four years and um, we're scratching our heads. But you know, huh. one of the things that, I mean, we've had a bestseller, a book that has wound up on uh, the Publishers Weekly and Evangelical Christian Publishers bestseller list. It's mm. a book called The Road Back to You. Um, 
but that doesn't explain all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that there is a, in this moment in time, there, there's a hunger for something a little, uh, mm. a little more meaty. And like, there's so much. Uh, happening in in our society alone, even if you don't look at the global context, but you know, people are, I think, looking for some some deeper answers, and I believe that our authors like you mm-hmm. um, and others have something to offer. So uh, that's that's the you know we're we're beginning to make sense. Bestsellers, uh, what we call a halo effect from that. Mm-hmm. When you have one, it kind of lifts up others. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, but beyond that, I think more sort of existentially, there's a there's a, a hunger for help me make sense of what's going on in Washington. Help me make sense of what's going on in the global context and economics, all kinds of things. And so we're hopeful yeah. that the kind of thoughtful Christian publishing, that's sort of how we talk about ourselves, yeah. not purely academic, but thoughtful Christian publishing is uh, a part of why we're seeing the uptick we are. Now, I will say that publishing in general, has bounced back better than, say, the music industry yeah, did. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so the digital thing that happened with uh, your recorded music, for right. example, it, it hasn't happened for, for books to the same degree. Yeah. We're very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so we've not had to reinvent ourselves to the same degree. I'm glad you mentioned the depth of the books because that's when I, when I think of InterVarsity Press, I, I think right. of, of, of deeper I think subjects. John, I think John Stott. I mean, that's yeah. mm, right. you know, that kind of a book. He is yeah. certainly one of the yeah. the, the legacy authors your, that we've had. Yeah, yeah, a lot of times we sit around tables like who who's the John Stott for this this present age? But yeah. we, at the same time, are wanting to introduce Stott to a whole new generation of readers in San Diego. Wow. And be meeting with a group of publishers from uh, from Europe and and here in the states. We're trying to band together uh-huh. uh, to try to to help John's works uh, be known among a younger audience mm-hmm. because we believe he he still has something to say. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, he would be he and J.R. Packer. Yeah, um, is uh, another author that we're known for his book Knowing God. I love uh, what what he said. We've we've used it a lot of places, Mike. You've probably heard this before, but. Um, my a couple of my colleagues and I were in a restaurant with Jim Packer a few years ago, and he said this just rolled off off his lips. He said some publishers tell you what to believe, and other publishers tell you what you already believe. But InterVarsity Press helps you to believe, and we kind of mm. we sat there and we're like, "Oh, whoa, Jim, <laughs> take that can, down." Can you? Yeah, <laughs> let's back up. Could you say that again? Could we write that down? And 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 he did, and we did. And we felt that that really crystallized a lot about who we are as a press, yeah. uh, that we, we don't merely reinforce the things that you believe, whether you've thought about it or not. And, and, and we, we, we don't tell you what you should uh, believe. We, we help you mm-hmm. to believe. And so we, uh, one of our hallmarks is to explore things from various Perspectives. We have these spectrum multi-views books, and yeah. um, that's one of the ways we go about it. Well, that. I get the the impression that you you think of publishing the way I think of radio, because in radio, of course, you've got to have an audience to sustain the, whatever you're trying to do. So you've got to have readers mm-hmm. to buy books to sustain what you're doing. But at the same time, you're not pandering to the mass. You're you're wanting to go. You're wanting to take people deeper, yeah, and not necessarily you know reach everyone, but mm-hmm. the people you reach, you want to become closer to Christ, more discipled, better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there, in the publishing world, there is, um, there's language like opportunity publishing. Um, mm. So, you know, something's happening in the news and you, you, you oh, yeah. rush a book to press and, and that has a place. Um, there's also personality publishing where, you know, someone comes on to the, to the scene and, um, and, uh, you know, they, they make a big splash, and so you have books with their faces on the cover. Yeah. Uh, there, there probably is a place for that, although uh, I might argue something if we were yeah. uh, sitting in a cafe together, Mike. And, but, and depending um, on who that person is that's just gotten famous and yeah. for what. Yeah. yeah. I, uh-huh. I see that. But okay. we, we, we do neither of those things, really. We, we, we're very much more uh, focused on, on the ideas and are they— uh, do they have fidelity with Scripture? Are they handled carefully and well, ironically? And, and that's what we go after. Okay, so Mike comes at you with an idea for a book. Yeah. 
Or do you go to him with an idea for a book? It's I think us- it probably it, starts with Mike, doesn't it? It's usually starting with him. Yeah, yeah. 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 And how do you help him shape that idea? Uh, one of our editors, uh, in fact, Al Shee, I think, has worked with you on all nine books, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, Al would, uh, would receive an original manuscript, a draft um, uh, from Mike, and Mike would know that it's not going to stay that way. Right. Uh, so Al would say, <laughs> Is that I think, hard, Mike? No, it's, well, it's going to be, be made better. After, after a couple of books, you learn to trust people, and mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's no problem. So Al may suggest we need to reorganize the chapters, yeah. or this isn't clear, this is too long, you're getting too wordy, Mike. Yeah. Um, add a little illustration in once in a while. Yeah. Share a little bit more of yourself, Mike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> things of that nature. Oh, he loves to do that. And, well, uh, <laughs> and the other thing that happens over years, he sort of helps you learn to write that way. Mm-hmm. So there's there's less and less, you know, I think this last thing, last thing I turned in, he goes, it's too short, I need two more chapters. I go, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to do it. So there's back and forth. There's a first draft, a second draft. Um, and, and once we get it where we want it, it's sent out. Uh, to a, a copy editor to kind of make it really crisp and clear. Uh, so for some people, spelling isn't necessarily their strong suit. For others, it not is. Michael. <laughs> what? He just looked at me when he said that. He yeah. looked right at me when he said Sorry, that. Sorry, that, that was me. But and eventually, then the the you know we get a jacket treatment and send out endorsements, and it's all put together. And InterVarsity has the best covers. That's mm-hmm. just my opinion. Yeah. Their their covers well, are I, the best. I just randomly picked one book yeah. off the shelf here. Uh, your yeah. series on the Gospels. Yeah. Here's here's Mark. What a lovely cover yeah. that is. You know. The the Hesed book uh, that we did I last December yeah. is of, of all the books we've done with Mike. I think that's the one that yeah. good uh, example. People have talked about the cover on good more example. than than anything. Well, it's fun to kind of go inside the publishing world here for a few minutes with Jeff. We've been talking with Jeff Crosby of University Press. Michael, you I know how much you appreciate IVP. I do, and and Jeff especially, and Al, and um, and I hope. We can have you back and go deeper with this because there's there's so much more that we we can explore in this topic. Well, Jeff, thanks again for coming to the studio here today. It's great fun to kind of uh, go inside the creation of one of Michael's books. Yeah, so good to be with you both. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Well, it seems we just started, and it's time for our midpoint break. If you've been challenged by what you've heard so far, please share your comment or post a podcast review when you search for Michael Card on Facebook or Twitter, or use the contact us section of our website at michaelcard.com. While you're online, check out Michael's weekly blog, books, music, and future conferences at michaelcard.com. In the second half, we'll continue with music and conversation at this changing of the year. Join us as we meet CZ, one of Michael's weekly Bible study partners. That and more coming up in just a moment in the studio with Michael Card. excited about next week's session in the studio with Michael Card. In this edition, you'll get to meet Dr. John Long, who had a profound impact on Michael in college. And then we'll talk with Olivier Melnick, a friend who has an outreach to Jewish people. As always, the Bible will be studied and there's music that will tie the hour together. Look for the post and tell a friend about this podcast. Subscribe when you search for Michael Card in iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Michael, you have a weekly Bible study that you attend yes. as a participant. Yes. Uh, Anthony Pickett has been with us, who That's leads right. that study. Right. But now we have another gentleman joining us. Yeah, uh, CZ is uh, kind of one of the one of the hearts and souls of the Bible study, and uh, he also has a ministry in Franklin, and uh, he's just one of my favorite people. So I I thought it'd be good to talk to him. CZ is Curtis Zachary, right? Yep. Did I get That's that right? right. CZ, is it just Mike that can call you that, or can I call you that too? No, no, no. All of my friends, you included, oh, good. call me CZ. I've been <laughs> grafted in. Wow. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> wow. So who is CZ here, Mike? Uh, well, again, CZ, I know CZ is a pastor, as a guy who loves Scripture, but most especially, uh, he, he, as he talks about his calling, he just wants to love people. And I don't, I don't think I've ever known anybody you know, who, who kind of boils it down to that. And so that that's why I, I wanted to have him on to uh, to talk about what motivates him in ministry and uh, uh, you know your perspective in t- in terms of the future of your ministry and and uh, so we just want to get to know you, CZ. Yeah, man, that's, it's an honor to be chatting with you guys. And and as you know, Michael, my great love for you is is certainly uh, known not only 
in our relationship with those around me. And so it's a gift to be able to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, you know, I just think about what you said and, and what a humbling idea it is for us to be able to have the chance to be able to sit with people in painful places, to invite people into the reality of the story of God. And I feel like that's what any ministerial call that I could conceptualize in my own life really boils down to. It's this pursuit of seeking to figure out how to get God to the ground, that we would understand Him mm. here on earth as it is in heaven, and at the same time, mm. uh, walking with people and alongside people as we seek to journey to understand who He is and what that means for our lives. So uh, I think the greatest way that we can love people is to not withhold the reality of what we believe to be true about the way of Jesus, mm. and two, to enter into the places of real life with people seeking to figure out uh, not only what does God look like uh, connected to big ideas in set-apart settings, but uh, in the everyday conversation of life to see where is God in this right now. And uh, I just desire for that to be true of every aspect of what I do and where I am in life, and, and I hope that it's happening. So to love someone well is to inter- introduce them to Jesus and who He is and what He means, and that's the most loving thing. You can do. That's what you're saying. I mean, I can't really figure out anything else. I mean, I've, I've done, quote-unquote, good things with my life. I've given myself to purposeful work. I uh-huh. think all of those things are important, but unless it's informed by my reality that Jesus is enough and that He is uh, producing the flourishing that results in that good work, uh, it's empty. And then for me to offer up good work to any other people without that same substance as the source for them is really me withholding the essence of what it means to, number one, know love, which the Bible tells us God is love, and then Mm. number two, to experience the expressed love that comes through the leadership of the Spirit of God. Mm. CZ, can I ask you, was there a pivotal point in your life when this all just clicked for you and you realized this is your life's mission? I think uh, without there being too much of a pun, it really is on the way (laughs) as we are Uh, journeying together in life. I do feel like a big shift came for me when I began to understand God's intention for humanity through the Scriptures. It says in Matthew 4 that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, that's a very specific proclamation of the message of Jesus Christ. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to know, number one, what is His gospel? What is His message? And two, what does that mean? And I think that His message was boiled down to the idea that people can begin to know and understand eternity, not later on after they die, but right now on earth. And uh, I think that that's really changed everything in the way that I understand what it means to follow Jesus. And then Colossians 1 says that God desires to reconcile all things back to Himself, both in heaven and on earth. And I think it shifted for me from a place of just thinking about God as an ideology or a theory and more about, no, he desires to redeem and restore and reconcile everything, every neighborhood, every uh, area, and nothing is withheld from his, his love. And, yeah. and just to be clear, when you credit On the Way, that's the weekly Bible study that you men are a part of. Indeed, and, and I think that that's what uh, is so appropriately uh, calling that Bible study uh, in this season of time, because... It's not simply just a meeting place in a room, but it's as you are going, it's what it means to live life together, whether in that Bible study or over a coffee table or walking along the road. I think it really is seeing how life informs and shapes your theology. It doesn't change the things you believe, but it informs the way that you express what it means to believe them. Okay, so, that, you know, we're, we're speaking um, theoretically. What, what, what does that end up uh, looking like? I mean, uh, you talk about bringing God to the ground. What does it look like when God hits the ground? Yeah, I think it's manifested in so many different ways, and I think we can be so stuck at times in esoteric ideas mm. and uh, being fascinated by theology and the writings about God when He desires for us to see Himself evidenced in every aspect of our lives, that is, sharing what we have in tangible resources uh, with finances and the things that we own or 
the things that we can do. That looks like coming alongside people who uh, may need uh, some encouragement in ways that we may not think we have the power to offer, but by the the power of the Spirit of God, we begin to come alongside in. Uh, We're walking right now here in our community alongside a family that has lost their 21-year-old son, and there aren't theories or ideas. Uh, There isn't theology expressed that will bring comfort and rest to this family. It Mm. is simply the embodiment of the presence of God, not by my power or our human power, but by the leading of the Spirit of God to see that expressed in ways that we can't even really think to ask for. So Mm. to answer your question, I think there are multiple ways that this is manifested, and it's usually less complicated and intricate than we like to make it out to be Mm. so often in our uh, theorizing and in our, our church setting. So it looks like compassion when he hits the ground. Uh, it looks like generosity. It looks like um, kindness. Hmm. Sounds like yeah. Hesed to me, yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah. That's where I was going. Right. Uh, well, I, I know that you're a person that lives that out. Um, you don't just talk about theoretically. So it really has a, a, a – you speak about this with some authority because I know that you live it out, man. Man, that means it's time. And, yeah, I think, you know, the most simple way to express it feels almost reductionistic, but there literally is no other way to summarize it except to say, you know, the fruit that comes from the Spirit of God is listed in the way that it is because it truly is, number one, only possible as a result of a connection to God. (laughs) There is no true and healthy, sustainable manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. And then I think number two, Mm. um, if that is indeed true, uh, we have a living hope, as it says in 1 Peter 1, that we can hold fast to because we know that in our own strength, uh, we will be limited in our ability to engage and love people well. But but by His Spirit, He gives us what we need. Yeah. Amen. Well, CZ, I'm always so grateful when friends of Michael check in with us here on In the Studio. It's so helpful to know that Michael, that uh, God is using people like CZ in your life and in the life of so many others. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and these kinds of relationships, uh, walking together, having coffee together, it's just spending, going to see stupid movies together. I mean, just doing, spending life together is, uh, I think, it it becomes a source for, for a lot of ministry. Yeah. Don't you think, CZ? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, I, and it's reciprocated. I think that's the beautiful gift yeah. that you offer us as well. Yeah. CZ, Curtis Zachary, thank you, brother. You got it. Well, Michael, coming up, we're going to ask you to sing a song next, but then after the song, we're going to go on the road with you. Here we are at the end of this year. A year ago, on New Year's Eve, you spoke in Israel, Mm -hmm. and we're going to hear that coming up after you sing for us. The song is Don't You Know. Don't you know there's a place in the middle of your heart, an empty place that only Christ can fill. If you bow your knee to Jesus and claim Him as your own Don't you doubt for a minute that He will Don't you know that He loves you Don't you know that He cares Don't you know that He died to save your soul And don't you doubt for At a time in your life when you're really in between With people tugging you from every side And the pain of growing up is almost more than you can bear And all you want to do is run and hide But don't you see that now's the time when you really need Him most He's waiting and He's calling to you still He only wants to love you and hold you in His arms And don't you doubt for a minute that He will Don't you know that He loves you? Don't you know that He cares? Don't you know that He died to save your soul? Don't you doubt for a minute that He will Don't you know that He loves you 
trying to find a psalm um, and, uh, for New Year's, and the best one I could find was 90, and I'd just written an essay on Psalm 90, so took the easy way out. I'll just read this to you. Psalm 90. I don't know if you know, something 75. I don't know if you know Psalm 90. It's the only psalm we have of Moses. Now, the Talmud says that this psalm was actually written by Adam and Moses found it. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, um, so let, let me just read you this essay. Moses is no longer in the cleft of the rock, listening to those luminous words from God. That's Exodus 34, when God hides him in the cleft of the rock. Now he is a tired and disillusioned leader. The disastrous, disastrous rebellion of Korah has taken place. That's number 16. As best we can reconstruct the life situation of Psalm 90, Moses is in the wilderness of Zin, a strikingly beautiful area of deep gorges. His sister Miriam had just died when you write Psalm 90. And uh, that's in Numbers 20, verse 1. So his sister just died. In just a few verses, his brother Aaron who except for a few lapses has been Moses' principal support in the wilderness, will also pass away. So his brother and sister have just died. This is the setting for Psalm 90, the only psalm we have from Moses himself. When you engage the psalm with this background in mind, it comes to life. So let me read it to you. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives are 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them our struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass away quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. This is the last section. section. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your chesed so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adverse, adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands establish the work of our hands. This is a song from a person who knows about wandering in the wilderness, literally, but also emotionally and spiritually. The opening verses speak of refuge and of mountains being born. In verses 3, 4, and 5, Moses has the recent deaths of his two siblings clearly in mind. He writes with a poet's pen as his heart resonates with fresh grief. There is a, an imaginative play on words between the Hebrew word for dust, Adama, and the name Adam. You return the descendants of Adam to the Adama, Moses laments. How many memories are swirling through his mind when he says, 
You end their lives, they sleep. In the following verses, we hear the echoes of his wilderness experience of being terrified by the wrath of God. In the light of the death of Aaron and Miriam, Moses seems to be calculating the number of years he might have left. He speaks of hoping for 80 years, but he would settle for 70. He lived to be 100. Then Moses exits his reverie with a question that echoes throughout the Psalms. How long? He pleads with God to turn and show rachamim, mercies. He asked with the same confidence he first discovered on the mountain in Exodus 34. Finally, the connections we've been waiting to hear him speak about come to the surface. Satisfy us in the morning with your hesed. Could the tired and disheartened prophet suffering the loss of his siblings have ever imagined all of the connections he was making as he lamented, as he offered up his confusion and weariness as an act of worship in the wilderness? Was the ecstasy of that long ago revelation, Exodus 34, still resonating somewhere deep down in his weary heart? Did he make the connection that the chesed he was pleading to be satisfied with had first dawned on him on the mountaintop in the morning? God said, be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me. Making connections between biblical words and passages is interesting and meaningful, but somewhere along the way, we need to inter they need to intersect with daily life. Our lives are lived daily, and every single day begins with a morning, and I'm thinking about tomorrow morning. To begin every day being satisfied, as Moses says, with the loving kindness of God. To experience that chesed every morning, as David sings in Psalm 143.8, is the most profound application imaginable. Any day that begins with such a realization will be shaped by the kindness and hope that only the chesed of God can bring. Every encounter that awaits in the day that follows such mornings will be transformed and transformative. So we're going to experience our, our first morning of 2000 of the, of the new year. I'm not thinking about tonight and partying and being crazy and all that sort of stuff. Maybe some of you young, young people are. But I'm thinking about tomorrow morning and what, what that, that first dawn of two, 2019 is going is gonna, to is gonna mean. And, uh, and I think that's where Psalm, uh, Psalm 90 comes in. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. You start the day with this, this realization that though you have a right to expect nothing from God, He wants to give you everything. That's the definition of Hesed. He, he is more faithful to us than we have a right to deserve. And that is, that's, uh, that's who He reveals Himself to be all through 250 times in the Hebrew Bible and then all through through, uh, through the New Testament. So let me close with our Brueggemann prayer. Giver of all our years, ruler of all our times, from this beginning and all beginnings, we give you thanks. We pray for energy and freedom and courage proper to a beginning and ask for your gifts. While we begin, we acknowledge that we are not here nor ever at a beginning. Before us were our teachers and pastors. Before us were many scholars who worked hard and saw much. Before us were fanatics who have had run great risks and have kept the text for us. And before all of them, you. You and your wisdom and your glory. You and your power and your mercy. We make our beginning in the presence of all these witnesses. We make our beginning from you and toward you and in you. 
that our work and study should be as praise for you. You who give all our years, you who rule all our times. Amen. So meaningful to hear that message, Mike, and yeah. to know that you gave that a year ago on New Year's Eve in Israel. Yeah, and I was actually reading from Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, but marvelous with language, and uh, he was just one of my favorite, one of my favorite people. Yeah, we began this hour thinking about uh, this next year could be the year of the Lord's return. Yes, even so, come Lord Jesus. Yes. Uh, and then we talked to Jeff Crosby of University Press. That was really fun to meet Jeff. And yeah, and I know you've met Jeff previously many times, but my yeah. first time. So, and, and Jeff continues to be such an encouraging presence uh, for me. I, I don't know if I could keep doing the books that I've been doing if it wasn't for Jeff, because he's yeah. he's always he's always that person who who makes you feel like you can you can yeah. take that next step. And then that brief conversation with CZ, <laughs> uh, your friend from Franklin, Tennessee. I told you you'd like CZ. Yeah, you, you warned us that we yeah. would like him. Yeah. And how could you not like CZ? Yeah. But his concept of God on the ground. Yeah. What does it look like when God hits the ground? And and and, and you could tell from his conversation, he's got the theology and all the framework you know, in, in his head. But one of the uniquenesses about CZ is that he, he is this uh, sort of incarnation of God's love. He just wants to love people well and and has this remarkable burden to do that. And uh, I don't know. I, I want that. Yeah. Well, Mike, would you be willing to lead us in prayer here at the close of a year? And mm. as we stand on the threshold of yet another, even so, come Lord Jesus. Mm. But would you just lead us in prayer as we close here sure. today? Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we come to you as your children. And we come to you with nothing but thanksgiving in our hearts for the for the year for your sustaining grace uh, that has allowed us to get through this year. Many of us have uh, lived through hardships and frustrations and struggles, and you've been faithful. And uh, so at this point, at the end of the year, we stop and we look back and we say, thank you, Lord, for never leaving us, for never forsaking us. But we're standing at the, at the, at the beginning of a new year, and there's nothing but hope in our hearts uh, for this new year. And we trust and we believe and we hope that you will be with us every moment of this new year, that no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what Satan tries to do to trip us up, uh, that you will be faithful when we're not faithful and you will always be there to show us your grace, that we have a right to expect nothing from you this year, but we are expecting everything from you because that's who you are. And we praise you for that. We praise you for who you are. You're so good to us. And we look to this year with great expectancy. In your name, Jesus. And from all of us in the studio, Happy New Year.